Breaking free from the sinful pattern of self-pity, next on Abounding Grace. There's pain living in this world, but self-pity and playing the victim is not from the Lord. It's not his desire for your life. They're not healthy, they're not biblical, or a spiritual way of handling the difficulties that the Lord has allowed in your life. It's not the right response. Self-pity is essentially saying to God, I don't like what you're doing in my life, and I rebel against you. I don't like what you allowed in my life. I'm not living there anymore. It happened years ago to me. But today, I choose to rebel against you because of what you let happen years ago. That is not from the Lord. This is amazing grace. When difficulty and pain enters our lives, there can be that tendency to want to run away and hide out in a cave or even feel all alone. Ever been there? That's where Elijah is at in the story before us today on Abounding Grace. And God has a message for those of us in that place. Get up, get out, and go back. Pastor Ed Taylor has framed his message around those very words spoken to Elijah and us. Pick up with me back in 1 Kings 19, would you? In verse 9, it speaks of Elijah going into a cave, it says, and, and, he, and there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Sometimes we just need to hear that question. What are you doing here, Ed? And I have to answer that question. God asked me that question, I should answer it. And God can, God can take any honest answer that you have. He can, he can handle it. You don't need to sugarcoat it. Even if you did sugar, like God knows you inside and out. You're not going to fool God. <laughs> what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? And so he answers, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel, forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. I'm sure you've been there. You know what this sounds like? This, this, is, this answer has come out of my mouth before, and it's something along the lines of this. God, I have put everything on the line for you. I have left everything. I have, and I start to rehearse things that I think I've done for God. And I begin to stack up. But I've done this for you, Lord. And I've done this for you, Lord. And I've done this. And they stack up so that they, they, they're really huge and monumental in my life, because they are, and to some degree, but the conclusion is wrong, and that is, I've done this and this, and this is my reward? That, that's literally come out of my mouth on more than one occasion. And I'm grateful for the grace of God, because he works with me. He works with me. If he works with me, he works with you. And, and he'll allow me to process those emotions or this, well, let's just call it what it is. It's self-pity. When examining the difficulty in our lives, and running to the caves. Elijah, as well as perhaps you, for sure me at times, 
have dealt with self-pity. I've done all this for you, Lord, so my reward should be something good. I've been a good little boy. And I grew up in a home where good little boys always received good. Now, even in our world, it's gotten much worse. I don't know if you've seen generationally, generationally, that over time, we've become the most narcissistic generation of all time. And, and it's, it's come because, you know, the, the pattern is, well, you know, I didn't get this kind of upbringing in my house, so for my kids, I'm going to make sure that I affirm them, and I bless them, and I encourage them, and then their kids, then they're going to affirm, and before you know it, there, there has been this, this hindrance of anybody feeling anything like, man, I've made a mistake, or I've, you know, like in sports, like sports, in sports, you realize everybody gets a trophy now. Yeah, but you lost every game. I, that's okay. That's okay because, because everybody gets a trophy. Because if one person is going to get a trophy, then we want to make sure. And it, it started way back, I think, with this, this whole move of self-esteem. This, this idea that the, all of the world's ill is a lack of self-esteem. And then that came into the school system. And now the effort is you've got to feel good about yourself. You've got to feel good about yourself. Listen, there are times when you don't feel good. And you can still esteem yourself in the Lord. You can still, you don't have to put yourself down. That's certainly not the heart of God. Just go around putting yourself down. That's another form of pride. Pride goes two ways. And this is dangerous for us all because whenever we mention pride, some people check themselves out automatically because they think, well, pride is always thinking too highly of yourself. That is a form of pride. We can think too highly of ourselves. But did you know the opposite of that is also pride? And that's to think too low of ourselves. Oh, woe is me. I'm a horrible person. Not in the Lord, you're not. Oh, look at me, you know, I, I failed and I've lost, so I'm not a good person. No, no, there are winners and there are losers, but everybody wins at the cross. That's the great equalizer. And here we are, a tendency, some more than others, toward self-pity. Notice verse 11. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in a fire. And after a fire, it was a still, small voice. Verse 13. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And so he gives the same answer. I've been zealous for the Lord God of hosts. Because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets and with the sword, and I alone am left. I alone am left. It's all about me. I alone. What a trap we fall into. It's all about me. And they seek to take my life. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mohola, you shall anoint his prophet in your place. Verse 17, it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And here's the word of the Lord, really the encouragement. The encouragement in verse 18, if you'd like to write in your Bibles, you just write next to this, you're not alone, Elijah. That's what he's telling him. He's answered his question, I alone and left. And the answer that the deep, the deep-seated thing in Elijah's life was this very issue. You're not alone. So encouraging. 
I've reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed. You know what's, you know what's striking about this? Is that Elijah didn't know this. This guy heard from the Lord. He spoke from the Lord. He, he was used to raise people from the dead. He called fire down from heaven. And he didn't know that 7,000 people were still connected and dedicated to God? No. So it doesn't matter how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you might have. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. There are still things you don't know and that God's going to reveal to you at just the right time. Why didn't he reveal 7,000 up on Mount Carmel? Why didn't he tell him any time he was running away from Jezebel? Why is it here in the cave? Because that's when he was ready. You know, God will let you get down to the darkest, deepest pit. He'll let you go. You feel like you're being abandoned, but you're not being abandoned at all. God is allowing you to go as far as you need to so you're ready to hear his word. How encouraging this must have been. It's almost like, you know, if I put it into a paraphrase, dude, there are 7,000 people just like you that are dedicated like you, that I'm using like you, that haven't bowed the knee. How encouraging that must have been. He tells them to stand up, listen carefully, you know, and then you've got the, all the, the, the supernatural stuff here. You've got the strong wind, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And you've got the earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And you've got the dramatic fire, but the Lord wasn't in any of all that. It was just the still small voice. God, God just very naturally, very normally ministering and serving Elijah. It wasn't in all the, the dramatic effects. It was just his still small, that gentle whisper that God is ministering to Elijah. And Elijah, the cave is not for you. Get up, get out, and go back. That's what he tells him. Get up, get out, and go back. There's so much more for you, Elijah, than this cave. But you gotta get up, and you gotta go out, and you gotta go back. That was the word of the Lord to Elijah and to us. God is so faithful. And I know that's an understatement, but it's worth repeating. It's so good to be reminded, according to 2 Timothy 2.13, that if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Isaiah 25, verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, and your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. And when we survey the span of human history, you'll notice that God has never, and I emphasize never, been without a human witness on the earth. He's never been without what we call a remnant, a small group standing against the tide of evil and darkness, standing against the way that seems like the whole world or even sometimes the whole church is going a certain direction and you feel like you're the only one that is swimming against the tide. There used to be a a t-shirt way back in the 90s of, of a bunch of fish going in one direction and the Christian fish going the opposite direction where you've got all the, you, you even feel like you're going against the tide of what the church at large is doing. But God has reserved you and you're one of many even though you feel like you're alone. God has always had and always will have those that are wholly dedicated to him, clinging to him, willing to represent him no matter the cost. Like we're going to learn in Hebrews chapter 1, God at various times and in various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. 
It's a singular voice. Sometimes it's evident and obvious. Other times it's hidden and unclear, but God is always faithful. Did you hear that? Sometimes it's evident and obvious. Other times it seems hidden and unclear, but God is always faithful. And here's where Elijah is. He's struggling with the hidden and unclear, which is, according to the Bible, the definition of a struggle of faith. That's the definition of faith, believing what you don't see. And so he's struggling with the hidden and unclear. He doesn't even know there's, like he doesn't even know that there's 7,000 other people. He feels all alone. He's in a cave and God comes to him so gentle. What are you doing here, man? I don't think it was a loud, what are you doing, Elijah, you dummy, you're a horrible servant. I can't stand it. I'm not, not going to use you anymore. It's like, man, I just see God coming and, and gently, what are you doing here? How many times have you heard that question in your own life? What are you doing here? You're hearing it right now. You've probably heard it 40 times in this message. What are you doing here? But it's not Elijah's name, it's your name. What are you doing here? And you know it's not about where you are physically. It's where you are spiritually. Especially those of you listening on the radio right now or not, not with us in the, in the building, not with us at a church service. What are you doing here? Is the word of the Lord to you. It's a great ask, question to ask those that are trying to run away, trying to run away from their problems, trying to stuff them and trying to resist them. What are you doing here? What are you in this place of self-pity? I need to speak to self-pity just for a moment. To some, it's going to be directly to you. To others, it'll be laying a seed for you, planting a seed in your life. But self-pity is not from the Lord. Self-pity is not from the Lord. I want to acknowledge and, and I recognize that the catalyst for what got you in self-pity is very painful. And I acknowledge that in your life. I'm in no way denying the pain in your life or the difficulty or the sorrow or the grief, it's real. And if it's grief and sorrow, most likely it's gonna last until you shed this human body and you're reunited with your loved ones in heaven. It's hard, it's difficult, it's a trigger. It does all kinds of things to your head and to your mind that you never wanted, you don't want. I acknowledge that. And in no way would demean you or in some way try to speak over your head. Um, but rather, I get it. Loss is hard separation, divorce, singleness, slander, gossip, betrayal. There's pain living in this world. It's painful. But self-pity and playing the victim is not from the Lord. It's not his desire for your life. Self-pity and playing the victim are not from the Lord. They're not healthy. They're not biblical or a spiritual way of handling the difficulties that the Lord has allowed in your life. It's not the right response. Self-pity is essentially saying to God, I don't like what you're doing in my life, and I rebel against you. I don't like what you allowed in my life. I'm not living there anymore. It happened years ago to me. But today, I choose to rebel against you because of what you let happen years ago. That is not from the Lord. We need to learn how to forgive. We need to learn how to submit. We need to learn how to receive the healing and forgiveness that God has in store for us. And we need to learn how to deny ourselves and break free of this sinful pattern of self-pity. If and when I begin to feel sorry for myself, I am acting in unbelief and faithlessness, essentially telling God, 
that you don't believe what he's told you. Essentially saying to God, I don't believe that you care about me. I don't believe you cared about me back then. And so I don't care that I don't believe, even though you're not there anymore. You're not there. God has moved you forward. You brought pain with you, but the circumstances and situation is over. And now what's the biblical response to pain? But rather to submit ourselves to God and ask for him to heal us because he says that he's the healer. He says that, I mean, we believe God can heal us of our sin. How much more than of our hurt and our pain? And there is God in the midst of your, you may not hear the still small voice anymore because the earthquake of pain is so loud and the fire of pity is covering and the fog of dis, being disoriented by your own efforts to try to get, I mean, it's, you got the earthquake, you got the fire, you got the wind. And all the while the Holy Spirit's saying in a gentle whisper, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? and it gets lost. What should we as believers do when we find ourselves in trying circumstances? The temptation is to strike out, the, at, strike out at the person closest to us. It's to blame people in our past for who we are today. And maybe we uh, find ourselves blaming people for our circumstances. We become mad at God for allowing things in our life. Or we choose to wallow in self-pity. But what does God tell us we should do when we're afflicted and when we're suffering and when we're in trouble? Well, we already learned. He tells us, pray. Draw near to God. He tells us to forgive, to release, to trust. As we pray, it could be that God will answer our prayer and remove our problems. It could be. But it could be that God won't take away our afflictions. He won't take away our suffering. He won't take away our troubles. And he'll give us the strength to get through them so that our lives are even a greater testimony. I mean, it's really cool to have the testimony of God's deliverance from things. And that's a powerful testimony. I love hearing that when we have testimony time, just listening, oh, I'm so happy for you, man. I mean, that's awesome. That, that, is, that is not as common as you might think. And then most of the testimony, though, that we hear, it's not delivering from something, is it? Most of the testimony we hear is God's strength to deliver us through something. And those are powerful testimonies. When you see someone that's endured all that cancer treatment and they're still standing, and you see someone that God rescued their marriage, or you see someone that's on the other side of divorce and they have made it through and they're walking through. You, you see someone that has had the, the upbringing that just crushes your heart and you watch them. Man, they're still strong. They're stronger now than, that's the testimony. You see someone that's been grieving and you think when they share their story, I never want to experience that. I don't know what I would do if I experienced that. And then the person grieving thinking, I don't ever want you to experience that either. But then as you're processing, you're going, but that brother, that sister, they're still standing. And you, this is the conclusion we come to, isn't it? If they can get through it in the power of God, then maybe I can. It gives you a little seed of hope. <laughs> a little seed of hope. And that's where Elijah is. Get up, get out, and go back. What are you doing here, Elijah? As we bring something before the Lord and acknowledging my need and dependence upon God, God can lift that problem that I'm presently facing 
And pain is a part of the package, church. If you were saved in a church that had a theology of pain, that somehow you were faithless and it's all your fault, and if you just had enough faith, you wouldn't experience that, they lied to you. That is not biblical teaching. That would be assigning sin to Jesus himself who went through the worst pain for your salvation and mine. It just, like, we just need to pray against that feel-good message that puts all the, all the emphasis on people, make them feel guilt-ridden so they can somehow take and extract money from them and continue to teach this nonsense. You know, the faith teachers, they trip me out because, you know, they say sickness is your fault. Sickness is your fault. If you just had more faith, if you just had more faith, and I'm always tripping out. These are the same guys that are wearing glasses when they're teaching that. <laughs> and you know, some wear glasses, but when they teach, they wear contacts so that you can't see that. And there they are, their eyes, you know, if you just had more faith, bro, you wouldn't need glasses. It's just simple logic. <laughs> And I don't know how I got there. Let's come back. <laughs> Verse 19. Verse 19. So Elijah did the right thing. He departed from there, found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plying with 12 yoke of oxen before them. And he was with the 12th. And Elijah passed by and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I'll follow you. And he said, go back again for what, I have, what, for what have I done to you? And Elisha turned back from him took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment, gave it to the people and they ate and he arose and followed Elijah and served him. Not only does the Lord in God encourage him that there's 7,000, but he gave him one. He gave him one. He says, take Elisha. And it's fulfilling what he told him in the cave. He says, take Elisha. And Elisha will see as we follow the rest of his life. God's answer to Elijah was for him to pour into another young man to disciple. So often the way out of difficulties is to find someone who's a little bit more hurting than you, a little bit more, and pour yourself into them. And just pour yourself into discipling them, teaching them, giving your life, sharing your life. And so Elijah, his, out of the 7,000, he gave him one. That's pretty cool. And he's going to serve together. And he found this humble man back at with this pack of oxen, threw his mantle on him, you know, threw his coat or his mantle, his, his scarf on him, which was an invitation of discipleship. And God has called him to serve the prophet and ultimately succeed him. And Elisha says goodbye because he's not going to see his family again. It was a full commitment. And he arose, it says, and served Elijah. He followed him and he served him. And what a privilege it is to be surrounded with so many people that together we follow Jesus and we serve him. And... God hears your prayers, even if they come in the caves. Because, you know, some of you beat yourself up. You're in the cave. You're like, well, God doesn't hear me anymore. No, God hears you, and he's even going to answer you. He even knows what he's going to do. He knew Elisha. He already knew Elisha. You don't know, but he already knew that Elisha was ready for him. And all this stuff that Elijah didn't know were just hammering his faith, hammering his trust, undermining him, and still the Lord met him. You could say that everything that Elijah in was his doing, it was his sinful response, you, you could look at that, and I would agree with you. But in all of that, even when Elijah was faithless, God was what? Faithful. Don't forget that. 
Today on Abounding Grace, we've been in 1 Kings as Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through this marvelous Old Testament book. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to take in a steady dose of God's Word is through the app and the podcast. They're both free. Just search for Ed Taylor. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, we'll send you a copy of A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. You'll travel along the shepherd's path to the green pastures and cool, refreshing waters of Psalm 23. We appreciate the generosity of our listeners. It helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us. Call 877-30-GRACE. And don't forget to request A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 when you give $25 or more. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to Co. And then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of 1 Kings. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.